quiz time. have a Bible, please keep it open in front of you. Um, God's Word is important, and it's important you're looking into God's Word and seeing if what I am saying is what God's Word is also saying. So please read along on the passages that we will be reading. Recently this year, the big news that happened was that Queen Elizabeth II, our Queen, unfortunately died and she went to be with the Lord which is a great thing but that was a really hard thing for a lot of people because she reigned for 75 years she started on the throne at 25 that is probably only six seven years for some of you and she reigned for 75 years and she was a good queen and she was a kind queen now I know maybe Queen Elizabeth wasn't someone you thought of a lot when it came to royalty or leadership. So I want to ask you, who is a good king or queen or ruler or leader? Who comes to mind when I ask that question? Josh said Chancellor Palpatine. So Emperor. the bar's low. So discuss 15 <laughs> seconds with each other. Who is a good king, queen or ruler you know? Alright, okay, we should have gotten a few there, okay? Would, would someone be able to put their hand up, tell me who, who they said? Got some laughs around the crowd. Yeah, Ben Warburton. Uh, it falls a bit short in my opinion. Okay, anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. Oh, no. No, I mean, Barack Obama. Yeah, Barack Obama. Yeah, no, that is great. Yeah, one more. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, yep, yeah, sure. There we go. Um, I want to tell you about my favourite king. This is him. Does anyone know who that is? <laughs> yeah, up the back. It is. It's King Richard from Robin Hood. This is a really old Disney movie. I love this movie. I love lions as well. But I really loved King Richard in Robin Hood. Now, if you have been with us at youth over this term, you would have seen that we have been looking at the Old Testament and God's people, the nation of Israel. In the very start of term, we looked at Genesis and we saw that God is a good God, He is a powerful God, and He is a truthful God. That's where we started. We then saw that God is a God who makes promises, and He made promises to Abraham. And we see God actually keeps His promises, always. But God isn't just a God who makes promises and just keeps them. He's also a God of judgment. And we saw that in Exodus when we saw the crossing of the Red Sea. And God takes sin seriously. And that's why we see God is also a holy God. And he requires his people to be holy too. So that is where we were up until last week. But you may notice that in this passage... We've kind of steamrolled, skipped very far ahead. We're now in the book of 2 Samuel. And 
it's quite far off where we left off in Exodus. I wonder, can anyone tell me a big difference between the nation of Israel then and the nation of Israel in 2 Samuel? They have a king, brilliant. Junior high got it in about half the time, guys, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, they have a king. King David, he's described as a man after God's own heart, and he is a good king. But you may be thinking, how did we get here? In Exodus, we had Moses and he was leading them, but there was no king. Well, actually, there was a king. It was God. God was their good king, and God brought them into the promised land. But while they were in the promised land, this is what the nation of Israel did. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 19, it says, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us, to go out before us, and to fight our battles. God had been faithful to them. God had kept his promises and God had loved them. God had been a good king to them. But they didn't want God. They wanted to be like the world. They wanted to be in the world. And they wanted a king of the world. And so let's look how God responds in verse 21. It's just there. It says, When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And so that's how this king came about. The people asked and God answered. But as you might expect, it didn't quite go as the people would want. This king's name was King Saul. And with King Saul, God gave a warning. It's in 1 Samuel 8. And this is what it said the king would do. It said he would take their sons and their daughters and he would make all of them work for him. He would take the hard-earned things that they had earned, and he would take them for himself, and he would even take some of the people to be his slaves. And we see that no matter how good a king can be, because David was described as a good king, putting a sinful, fallen human in charge and on the throne of God will only lead to evil, suffering, and pain. Now, I said my favorite king was King Richard, and he was a good king, but he was also an absent king. If you've seen Robin Hood, that movie, I'm not sure if you will, he's not in the movie very much. It makes it a bit weird that he's my favorite character in the movie, but that's all right. He arrives at the very end for about five minutes. Even with all the stealing, and even how bad the other king was, he wasn't there. He was not a perfect king. And David, even though he was a good king, a king after God's own heart, he would see a woman and he would take her and sleep with her. And then to cover it all up, he would have her husband killed. No matter how good a king is, there is only one good king. That is God. And so this is why the Israelites asking for a king at this stage is so bad. Because they reject their good king. They reject our good king, God. We remember that we heard God's promises. Is that Israel would be God's people. 
in God's place. And so this is where we find ourselves in the passage today. The Israelites are in the promised land. God has fulfilled that promise. They've grown into a great nation. And they even have a king on the throne, a good king, King David. And so that brings us to our first point. There's only two points in this talk. The first one, a kingdom now. So if we look at our Bible, look in verse 2 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. David says, I live in a great house, in a house made of wood. The ark of God still resides in a tent. So I brought up some pictures to try and display to you kind of what this is like. This is a house. This is my favorite basketball player's house. It is in Arizona in America, Devin Booker's house, and he does this walkthrough. It is an incredible house. It is definitely the best house anywhere near this block. It is huge and it is great. And now this next picture is just a shack I found on the internet, but it's definitely not as nice. It's not bad, but compared to Devin Booker's house, it's nothing. And similarly, David's house would have been the greatest house in all the land. And he looked at God's house, God's tent, and said, well, that will not do. And at first glance, this might seem for a very good thing for David to do. I'm sure you might think that. I thought that. But I just want to look a bit further. So what do we know? We know Israel is prospering. In fact, it said all their enemies had left them and they were at rest. David was prospering. We know he has a house made of wood. and The people love him. And so it's important to remember that whenever Israel prospers, it's not because the king, it's not because of the people, but it's because of God. God is in control and God is powerful. And that is why Israel prospers. This is an important lesson for David to learn. And it's an important lesson for us to learn. Because David really seems to have missed it. He seems to think that he is in control. He seems to think that he is powerful. Because he has settled and after looking at all his resources, his house, his people, he says it's going to be me to build the house for God. This is not a sign of David's thankfulness. It's actually a sign of David's pridefulness. It's not a sign of David's generosity. Actually, a sign of assertiveness from David, of showing control. As if he's saying, well, someone's got to build this house because God can't do it, so it's going to be me. I want you to see that after all God has done, after he split the waters in Egypt and took out the Israelites, after all God has done, David still thinks he is in control. After all God has done, David still thinks he is the one who is powerful. After all God has done, David still thinks he is king. And he is king. He is king. He's king of Israel. But he is not the perfect king. He is not the king that has all the power. And he is not the king that is perfectly in control. That is God. And that will always only be God. And so let's look in the passage because God makes him aware of this. If we look at God's response in verse 5, it says, Is it you, David, who will build my house? Have I ever had a house from the time I took your ancestors out of the land of Egypt? Have I ever once asked your ancestors for a house of cedar? 
See, what David's done is he has presumed of God rather than asked God. And I think we do this too. In your decisions, is God an afterthought? In my decisions, do I inquire of God? We need to remember God is king. He is the good king. He is the king that is in control. And we follow his plan, not our plan. And so David's plan was all about the kingdom now. But what's God's plan? And I think we also are like this. We make plans, our plans, for now. I want to tell you a story about when I was probably a bit older than you. I was being 19 years old. I just graduated high school. I just got into surfing. Still not very good, but I'm still trying. And my dream, I just, I had this plan. Fresh water was where I liked to surf, and I saw some of these houses on the water. And my plan was to make as much money as I possibly could. I wanted to buy one of these houses. I wanted to have enough money to never work again so I could just sit on the beach, play guitar, and surf all day long. And it sounds like a pretty good plan. But there is a problem with the plan, and that's that it's my plan. And I wanted to fit God into it as best as I could. But God, he was not going to fit into this house of cedar that David wanted to build. And God is too great to fit into this plan that I came up with in my head. And also God is too great to fit into any plan you come up with. There is one plan, one good plan, and that is God's plan. So what is that plan? Well, let's look at the passage, our second point, a kingdom to come. So David could tell David off. I mean, God could tell David off, leave him there, but he decides not to do that. If you look with me in verse 12, this is how God responds to David. It says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God kind of turns it on David. He says, David... You will not build my house. God says, David, I will build your house. And I think this is a message we all need to hear. That God is the great provider. God does not need anything from you. He does not need anything from me. You see, God graciously relates to us, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. God graciously relates to us, not because he needs anything from us, but because he loves us. And God is the great provider. And so let's look in this passage what it says he will provide, and then we'll see when he says he will provide it. So what does this passage say God will provide? Well, he's going to provide a king 
like never before. A king who will establish a throne forever. A king who would be loved by God. Now, it's important to know that the king that would build Solomon's house, I mean, David's house, is Solomon, his son. And so this passage is talking about Solomon, David's successor. But we also need to remember that when we read the Old Testament, we have to put our Jesus glasses on. We have to read it in light of what we know about Jesus. I'm not sure if you remember last week, but Josh had the glasses. They're actually just there. I really don't want to put these on. Put them on. Come on. Yes! I can see clearly now. No, no, I'm going to take them off anyway. (laughs) And so we see that it is talking about Solomon, but we need to see how we read this passage in light of Jesus. And we see this in when God says he will establish this kingdom. If we look at the passage, it says he will establish this kingdom when? Well, for eternity. It says this kingdom would never end. This kingdom has never ended. It reigns even now. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This passage tells us very importantly, not only was there a king, there is a king and there will forever be a king. Never again will there not be a king. There is a king enthroned forever. David says to God, I will build your house. God says to David, no, I will build your house. David saw a temporary kingdom. God delivers an eternal kingdom. So this king is Jesus, who comes into the world, who dies on the cross. But a king who dies and stays dead and rests with their ancestors like David can never be an eternal king. And so when Christ rose from the dead, he rose forever, eternally seated on the throne of God, and he sits there even now. So what does all of this mean for us? That's cool. How do I apply it? Well, I have two points I want to make and then two applications of how this affects us. First, you live in an eternal kingdom. Jesus declares in Mark's gospel... He says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And since the resurrection of Christ, this kingdom has reigned. You are in it even now. I hope you don't think you are going to enter into the kingdom of God. You have entered into the kingdom of God. And secondly, you have an eternal king. And Christ rules eternally and will rule forever. God has established him on the throne. We live in God's kingdom under God's king. So here's a few application points from this. I want you to be a citizen of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Well, I've got some uh, pictures to help us understand this. If we go to the next picture, this is tea and crumpets. Where would someone live if they like tea and crumpets generally? England, exactly, yeah, England. Next one. Oh, anyone know what those are? Frog legs. Frog legs, yeah. Where would you live if you liked frog legs? France. France, yeah, they're a delicacy. You should try them. Lastly, classic. I'm 
Shrimp on the Barbie. Where are we talking? Australia. Australia. <laughs> Sorry. Australia. Australia is right. Australia is wrong. <laughs> but that's exactly it. These are markers of where people are from. And I want you guys to show the markers of being in the kingdom of heaven. So what does that look like? Well, it means you know where your home is. A citizen of the kingdom knows where their home is. And that home is in heaven. I want you to look forward to where your home is. And secondly, I want to know you to know where your identity is. When people say shrimp on the barbie, they know immediately it's Australia. And similarly, your identity is a son or daughter of God. In his kingdom, under his king. And so our last point, be obedient to the king. Christ is king, he reigns and he rules. And we have been brought into that kingdom by his death. And so we are to live under his rule. He is not absent. Christ is present and he reigns. And so we listen to him. Because we live in God's kingdom under God's king. I'm going to pray to wrap up. Father in heaven, thank you for your power. Your power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him on the throne forever. He reigns in your kingdom even now. Father, we pray we would look at your kingdom and see where our home is. We would be citizens of the kingdom and we would show markers that we believe in Christ who died and raised, who sits enthroned in heaven, and we would share the news of your kingdom forevermore. Father, we pray your kingdom come. Amen. Amen.